Welcome to Verified Rx, your prescription for success. Brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. Welcome back to part two of our series on treatment options for stroke. I'm again joined by Dr. James Braun, Neurosciences Pharmacy Clinical Specialist at SSM Health, St. Louis University Hospital, and my Vizient colleague, Dr. Kyle Holting, Senior Clinical Manager of Drug Information. Picking up from last time, I know you mentioned bleeding risk associated with thrombolytics. Kyle, are there other medication safety issues that we should be thinking about? Yeah, both alteplase and tenecteplase are high alert medications due to the nature of their mechanism of action. Any operational or clinical changes regarding either medication need extensive policy review and consultation with the appropriate stakeholders, such as medication safety officers, PNT, and pharmacy leadership. Dosing on the package insert is specific to myocardial infarction. And James, if you have a second, do you want to touch on what all you did at your organization to address this issue? Certainly, Kyle. We made dose instruction cards contained within the stroke kit. We put stickers over the MI dosing on the box that provided this is the correct dosing for stroke. And then we also created pop-up alerts within our Pixis machine that said, if you're looking to treat a stroke, you need to pull the stroke kit. Because we're still using Tenecteplase for MI in specific cases, Altaplace is also still in there. Adds another wrinkle to things. Altaplace is still available in the emergency department because it's still our drug of choice for pulmonary embolism treatment of pulmonary embolism. Making sure that we have all these alerts built in that say, are you sure you're pulling this for the correct indication? Yeah, with that note of Altaplace also being available, we're not removing Altaplace. Altaplace is still going to be available at these facilities, but we're now using Tenecteplase potentially for acute ischemic stroke. Building off of that, another important note per ISMP or the Institute of Safe Medication Practices, we need to remove any of those worrisome or troublesome abbreviations associated with both thrombolytics. For tenecteplase, you will often see it referred to as TNK. And with Altaplace, you'll see it referred to as TPA. Now, when that's being called in over a phone or shouted across a room or even documented within the EHR, that can lead to problematic instances of potentially the wrong medication is given and the doses, of course, are drastically different. We just want to make sure that we're removing all potential barriers to patient safety when including tenecteplase in our toolkit to treat acute ischemic strokes. That's a great point, Kyle. And it's been one of the hardest issues for me is it's so ingrained in me. I just say TPA. It's reflex. I'm really making my best effort to start saying alteplase, tenecteplase, resist the urges to abbreviate tenecteplase with TNK. It's very hard. But I've been asked about this and people say, well, TPA is the drug class, right? So why can't we just call it TPA? And I'm like, well, it's because the administration around it is so much different. You need to be very clear. When patients are coming in from an outside hospital, I need to know for sure, was it alteplase or tenecteplase that was given? If it's tenecteplase, taking them in through the ED is going to be a much easier process for me. The drug is given over five seconds. It's done. Alteplase, I have to prepare. I have to have a pump ready. I have to have tubing ready. And I have to be ready to figure out what exactly they've done with their alteplase. Did they hang the vial? Did they withdraw the waste? How are they doing it? How much is left to infuse? And I've got to get that stuff converted over to our pumps. Definitely, it's clinically impactful that we're very specific with the terminology alteplase and tenecteplase for now. And maybe once things get back to a monotherapy approach for thrombolytics in this case, we can go back to referring to drug class and this will just be a distant memory. 
Definitely a lot of nuances between these agents. What else would make you want to use one drug over the other? To that point, ease of administration is a big concern, especially in the time of COVID. And we're trying to limit exposure to patients. There's a lot less patient exposure. We don't have to worry about hooking up pumps, hooking up lines, and instead prepare to connect a place, give it over five seconds, and we're done. Drastically reducing the amount of time that we're in close proximity to that patient. And then the drip and ship complicates transport of the patient and getting them into a new hospital might use different equipment, have incompatible tubing, having to figure out how do we ensure that this patient gets their full dose of treatment to next place, it's given. Five seconds, it's done before they're even on the ambulance or the helicopter. Really, for either of you, how can our frontline pharmacy staff utilize this information? Hopefully, it sparks engagement with the data behind the guideline recommendations. The first hurdle with Tenecteplace in this arena is understanding that literature and getting comfortable with it. Because if you can't speak to it very clearly and accurately, you're not going to be able to get stakeholders on board and to engage the literature at the same level. That part is so important because eventually they're going to have to articulate some of these points. They're going to have primary or comprehensive stroke surveyors come through that are going to ask questions. Why Tenecteplace? And then how do you speak to Tenecteplace's use for stroke? And the question of consent is a big one. And it's a question that I've faced. We recently went through a comprehensive stroke survey where I was pointedly asked, what's your consent look like for this? Because this is an off-label use for this drug. Many of the medications that we use in emergency medicine don't have specific FDA approval for the indication it's being used for. And Alteplace itself should be highlighted among that. It's actually not FDA approved for use in the three to 4.5 hour window. That's a pretty convenient talking point. But as with a lot of these medications that we're using, quote, off label, we have clinical trials and we have evidence and data behind it that support its use for that indication. Our consent process is built around not specifically stating we want to give you a product that's not FDA approved, but rather focusing on the guideline recommendations that this is a guideline recommended therapy for stroke. The undercurrent being the recommendations built on clinical trials, larger body of evidence supporting it for that use. I fear that if you come to a patient who has no medical background and you tell them, we want to give you a drug that's not FDA approved, in their mind, they'll equate that to you're experimenting on me. And that's definitely not the case here. We have over a decade worth of data and studies, and the data has grown to a consistent message of Tenecteplace is efficacious, Tenecteplace is safe for the treatment of stroke. Talking to patients, this is a guideline recommended therapy, and that personnel, people touching the patients can speak to that. And Kyle, what can Vizian add to this discussion? Luckily for our listeners, we completed what we call an expert panel regarding tenecteplase versus alteplase for acute ischemic stroke. And part of our panel, it starts with clinical specialists and clinical experts. We convene an expert multidisciplinary panel. With this one, it was 15 clinicians specifically. So we have nurse practitioners, pharmacists such as James who are in the front lines, as well as physicians who are either directors of their stroke centers or specifically involved with strokes in their centers. We get them together and we have them do two things. First, we ask them to appraise the literature. And secondly, we ask them for their expert opinion on the specifics of thrombolytics for acute ischemic stroke. Specifically with this, we're looking at tenecteplase versus alteplase. Prior to the panel, we send the panelists a pre-panel survey with several questions. We have them answer the questions, 
And then during a two-hour live panel meeting, we discuss the answers to the questions, have general discussions surrounding the topics. And then after the two-hour panel discussion, we will send out a post-panel survey. And from that post-panel survey, we hope to reach 60% consensus on our answers Using this modified Delphi consensus technique, we are able to state that our experts have agreed on consensus statements regarding acute ischemic stroke and use of these thrombolytics. For our literature analysis, we broke up our topics into short-term clinical outcomes. So we define these as recanalization and reperfusion, as well as neurological improvements using the National Institutes of Health Stroke Scale by 24 to 72 hours after administration of the thrombolytic. And we bundled long-term clinical outcomes as 90-day clinical outcomes on the modified Rankin scale, as well as mortality. And then lastly, we assessed the totality of evidence for acute ischemic stroke. From the panel discussion and the subsequent post-panel survey, in regards to short-term clinical outcomes, our panelists agreed that tenecteplase is comparable or incrementally better than alteplase with a moderate certainty of evidence. Specifically, I'll say that a moderate certainty of evidence with a high certainty of at least a comparable benefit. In regards to our long-term clinical outcomes, our panelists agreed that tenecteplase is comparable to alteplase with a high certainty of evidence. And lastly, for our question surrounding the totality of evidence for acute ischemic stroke, our panelists agreed that tenecteplase is comparable or incrementally better than alteplase with a moderate certainty of evidence with at least a high certainty of evidence of a comparable benefit. During our panel discussion, our panelists noted that there's a difference between large vessel occlusion and non-large vessel occlusion. So in our post-panel survey, we wanted to incorporate these questions to tease out the differences. These two outcomes, of course, were not included in the pre-panel survey, but were added in the post-panel survey at the request of the panelists. Although consensus was not reached on these two items, there was a trend towards consensus of tenecteplase being incrementally better or better than alteplase for large vessel occlusion acute ischemic stroke with moderate to high certainty. For non-large vessel occlusion acute ischemic stroke, there was a trend towards consensus of tenecteplase being comparable or incrementally better than alteplase with moderate to high certainty. James has touched on a lot of these items already, and that's great for the listener because everything that we've talked about is available in our expert panel write-up. But the panel, in regards to our expert opinion topics, we discussed considerations for switching to tenecteplase from alteplase. We discussed operational benefits and challenges of switching to tenecteplase. We discussed the evidence-based dose of tenecteplase, as well as clinical scenarios favoring tenecteplase or alteplase. Lastly, we discussed tenecteplase being the ideal thrombolytic for drip and ship, critical care access hospitals, and primary stroke centers. All of this information can be found in our expert panel write-up. It is utilizing expert opinion in coordination with literature assessment and literature review using the ICER evidence rating matrix. And with that, we're hoping to link literature published to expert opinion to really determine what we should be doing in these clinical scenarios that we don't have a 100% definitive answer as of yet. That's going to be a really information-rich document. When can we expect to see that, Kyle? 
we're working on getting it published in the next month or so. I would imagine it will be available to folks. Very exciting. Thank you for sharing that. James and Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today to share your perspective. I'm really glad you could both be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much, Gretchen. And to our listeners, please join us for more Verified Rx podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, and send us your comments. We'd love to hear from you. Verified Rx is your prescription for success and is brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. I'm Gretchen Brummel. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.